Hello everyone and welcome to Rolling Forward. I am your host Ben Baldieri and thank you for tuning in. Rolling Forward is dedicated to exploring topics related to mental health and sports and the interplay between the two. I'll be talking to high performers in various areas such as sport, entrepreneurship and business about their experiences with mental health and the struggles they have had and in doing so seeking to broaden the dialogue. Mental health is a huge issue which has historically not received the recognition it deserves so I'm looking to do my bit to change that. My guest today is Armando Cruz. Armando is a coach, business owner, and his mission is to, quote, to help you eliminate pain and optimize your seven healths so you can show up powerfully in your relationships and live a more vibrant, service-filled life. Armando's business focuses on achieving this, whilst his best-selling book, The Legacy Code, helps men everywhere to access and live out their full potential and create a legacy that inspires them and those around them. In this conversation, we explore the seven healths that Armando helps his clients to optimize how he does it, how you can do it, and what impact this process can have on your life. We also dig into his business journey and the relationship struggles that formed an integral part of that journey, as well as transformative experiences he underwent along the way. We also then dug into his passion for ultramarathon running, and this is an area that we share an interest in as endurance sport has been transformative for the both of us, and we dug into how controlled suffering can be incredibly powerful when managing the day-to-day struggle. I loved this conversation, and it was great to be able to explore some areas of shared interest with someone so knowledgeable, so... It's packed full of useful information. Get a pen and paper because there's lots of things in here that you can easily apply to your own life and enjoy. Good morning, Orlando. Hey, how are you, Ben? Yeah, very, very well, thank you. Thank you for, um, again, through the magic of LinkedIn, connecting. Um, this was, again, off the same, I think it was the same Mark Metry post as last yeah. time. Um, I've had some fantastic conversations with a couple of very interesting people so far, so I'm looking forward to, to digging into this. So I think um, before we started recording, we were talking about the your your business, so Cruise Country Optimal Performance Systems. Uh, could you give us a bit of an overview about that? Sure. Uh, our, our business strives to to help people eliminate pain, whether it's physical or emotional, and help them live the best life they can and optimize their seven healths. And you know, we describe the seven healths as your spiritual self, your emotional self, your physical self, your financial, your relational, your environmental, and then what we call adventure. Awesome. So how did you um, arrive at those kind of seven pillars, as it were? It's It's... You know, so I've, we're going on year 14. Uh, my wife and I run the business and it didn't start this way. It's evolved and it's, uh, it's taken many different shapes. But what we've realized is that whenever we would get to certain points, we realized, wait, there's another layer. There's another layer. There's another layer. And these seven uh, healths, as we call them, were, were really focused because we wanted to redefine health from just the idea of the physical or 
even a lot of times people now are you know connecting that mind body connection to really understanding that wait you can still zoom out a little bit more and see all these different angles that really affect your health and within those seven health you can really connect with the majority of everything that will contribute to your health and then the vibrancy of your your life at that moment right because you know if, if the the stuff between your 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 two years is not in the right place everything else trickles down right like your mindset and then the other thing is understanding what i what we call brain set and so understanding the difference between the two mm-hmm. and then you know going into the physical part going into the spiritual part going into the financial part right like if you're you're you know uh great mentally but you have no financial uh ways to support yourself it's going to create stress in your body it's going to create stress in your life and if you're married right like you tell me look i've taken the vow of poverty i'm living by myself i'm going to live you know in a tent and i'm okay okay great it's a personal decision but if you have dependence i have three kids and i have a wife i can do that for me i'm not going to make them go through that yeah. right i would live my life quite different if it was just me i, I don't want to make them suffer on decisions that I make. If they want to make decisions that put themselves, like I put myself in positions to make myself suffer. Like I do ultra marathons and I go and do kind of adventures that put me in places where um, I suffer a little bit, but I do that on purpose to help me grow because I want to do it. I don't want to put them through it. If Mm. they choose to do it, it's a very different thing. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, the this whole idea of um, voluntary hardship, um, one of the things that I've read quite a lot of over the course of the past couple of years, owing to the experiences that I've been through that we were talking about beforehand, was um, Stoic philosophy. And this idea of voluntary poverty um, is something that keeps coming up because it gives you that sense of grounding and that ability to, to take fresh perspective on the things that you have because when you put yourself in a position where you're voluntarily giving them up you can appreciate them that much more yeah yeah a hundred a hundred percent right like um finiteness increases value yes right which by the way is one of the biggest shifts and one of the things that i think people need to honor is where and what stage of life you're in right i'm four i just turned 40 right? I have, uh, thank you. So I have a wife and I have three kids. I have a business. I'm in a very different stage than somebody just coming out of university. We should live life different. That university student should not be living like I am living. And I should definitely not be living like, uh, let's just say a, a university student. If you talk to somebody in the end of their life, their, their value of time is significantly higher than you the the person you talk to that is coming out of university. Why? Because the person that's a much older feels like, hey, uh, the end is near. Whereas the person in, in university feels like I'm invincible. Yeah, I can't see the end in sight. There is no end. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Do, do you understand? Like that that yeah. shifts the way you look and how you value things. Mm-hmm. 
So one thing you mentioned um, briefly there was the difference between mindset and brain set. When you say brain set, are you talking about like from a physiological standpoint, such that like the the biochemical environment that your brain is and how that impacts your mindset, or are you is it something else? Um, yes, it's very much tied to that. Uh, I think one of the biggest disservices we've done as a society. Um, it sounds great, but it's, I think a big disservice is just do it. It is a very unskilled approach to execution. And the reason I say that is if somebody is struggling and your response, your solution is just do it. You haven't given them a skill, like any idiot could say that, right? You haven't demonstrated any elegance or skill in that response because if the person could do it, they probably would have done it, right? And so the difference between brain set and mindset is understanding the three brains. You have your reptilian brain that's responsible for, you know, keeping you alive, water, food, shelter, uh, reproducing, making sure that you have everything you need to live. A lot of people, I mean, uh, not to date this interview, but, you know, we're in this time of the coronavirus, right? There's yeah. a lot of people freaking out. There's a lot of reptilian brains running around right now, not really using their human brain. Why? Because they can't access it. Mm-hmm. After the reptilian brain, you have the mammalian brain, the mammal brain. That's responsible for hierarchy. It's responsible for community and tri- tribalness. You know, that, you know you're, you're, in, you're in a group and all of a sudden somebody gives you like a weird look. Your brain starts analyzing that and saying, hey, wait, wait, wait. That look, should I be concerned? You know, do, do we need a fight? Do we need to settle something? Am I going to be ostracized from the group and be kicked out? because of the way they looked at me, like your brain is assessing this in a very primal level. And you may be thinking like, oh, but I don't think like that. No, 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 we all do this depending on what level of threat we're in, right? And so one of the things is we cannot access our human brain, the neocortex, the new brain, which is responsible for all the thinking, the self-actualization, the growth part, the vision part, until we feed the animals. If the animals are happy, then you meet the human, right? That's, that's, the, way, that's the way it was taught to me, right? You mm. can't meet the human until you've fed the animals. Mm. Oh, it's a beautiful metaphor. So running with that metaphor that little bit further, how do you feed the animals? Right. First of all, it's understanding, and this is, this is why this, is, this part is important, because everyone wants to talk about mindset, but mindset doesn't begin until you can access your human brain, right? If you think about when you sit down and create goals or look towards your vision, it's not when you're figuring out, trying to, trying to wonder how you're gonna get your next meal. Mm-hmm. It's not when you're trying to figure out how to pay the electricity. It's when you're in, in generally a safe spot where you feel relatively good and you're looking for how am I going to grow? You cannot access self-actualization to the highest degree when you're trying to figure out where your next meal is coming from, Mm -hmm. right? So Into like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Exactly, Mm. exactly. So where are you on that? Because sometimes we look at that and you're like, yeah, but 
I'm not dying. Yeah, but your brain doesn't know that. Yeah. It, your brain doesn't know that. And that's, that's the key. Okay, well, how, how do you do that? Well, there's multiple ways. Number one is gaining clarity, right? How do you gain clarity? Well, uh, address the data that's actually there and not the drama. And what I mean the drama, it's the stories we tell ourselves about what's going to happen. Because that sends us down the animal path. It's like, okay, what does the data actually show? And then if we still can't access it, that's where accessing it, somebody else's neocortex. That's one of the powers of having a coach, right? You get to borrow their brain to help you access yours, help you peel back the layers, feed the animals so that now you can go and start creating the vision that you want. So this idea of taking a step back and kind of detaching from the situation, seeing the situation for as it is, as opposed to how we think that it is, and then gaining clarity from from that point. Fantastic. So this is so these mental health and like brain health. The other seven hells you're talking about then is this these is the purpose of these seven hells to kind of address the animal brain as it were such that you're able to kind of get everything in alignment and then you're able to meet the human. Uh, so the other ones will affect it. Yeah. And, and yes, it would very much, if those are all in support of it, you're more likely to be more consistently meeting the human. Mm-hmm. But again, look, you've seen, I have no doubt at some point in your life, you've met some people in some pretty dire situations and they seem happy as, as can be. So now it's, your brain also understands context. If this is the norm, okay, great. You know, like if, if you take somebody, I'm here in the US, and you drop them off in the middle of Indonesia, the way most people live over there in poverty, the people in poverty, for the most part, that's their day-to-day. They get it. Here, if you drop them off there, they would go in complete panic mode because like, what do, I, what do you mean there's no bathroom in the house? What do you mean there's no running water? What do you mean I can't just go to the supermarket and get some food? I got to go, I got to go fish my food. I got to go, you know, I got to go pull um, uh, some vegetables out of the, the garden. Like most people aren't adapted to that. Mm-hmm. Right. So context also plays a role and the environment, which again, goes back to one of the health is how do you set up your environment to support your mental health, your brain set, so you can access the optimal mindset. Fantastic. So the the other seven health and the one that um, the one that struck me there was well there were two of them. One of them was financial, and the other was adventure. Those two, from a I mean, when you hear the term health, you think spiritual, mental, physical, so on and so forth. But then these two seem to me at least slightly different. What is it about those that is still so important to this kind of integrative approach? Right. Let's take financial first. Yeah. Financial is if if you do an audit about these these healths where you're looking at them and and saying, okay, well, look, if this is what this means within the context of my life, where am I? Where would I like to get to, right? Because if you ask the millionaire, maybe he wants to be a multimillionaire. If you ask the person minimum wage, maybe he just wants to be able to pay his bills. 
right? So context, again, plays a role. So what does your financial health look like? Are you living pay to, paycheck to paycheck? Are you okay with that? Number one, are you okay? Because if you're like, oh, yeah, I'm loving life. So context for you, there's no threat around there. Now, if you can't pay your bills, whether you feel like there's no threat or not, at the end of the day, it's going to affect the way your body responds to that. Because again, you're going to get stressed out if you can't pay bills because you need to pay bills. There's going to be bill collectors. That all kind of disrupts stuff. So if you have basic needs, now it's, okay, well, am I, am I creating investments? Am I, am, I de- am I depositing financially in there so that I have a future that can weather the storms? Do I have so that I can create a predictable level of income so that, again, I'm in a better place and finances don't have to consume the bandwidth of creativity and growth in my life at that point, right? So what are the stages that you want to go to? Because finances are one of the biggest stressors that most people go through. And if you're talking about marriages, it's one of the biggest things that destroy marriages are the finances, right? I bring up marriages a lot because I work with a lot of married married, married men, but regardless of whether you're married or not, like if you can't pay stuff, it's stressful, right? Does that, uh, does that make yeah, sense? Yeah. Okay. No, Can sure. you see how that's tied yeah. to your overall health? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there have been some very interesting studies done, um, I think, in regard to universal basic income, for example, whereby individuals are given a stipend and overall quality of life, um, I think even baseline the measure of his intelligence, for example, IQ tests, or something like that, jump up by the equivalent of 15 points whereby you take the financial stress out of the equation. And like everyone worries about money to a certain extent and right. not having to worry about it to maybe quite the same level so that you're actually able to focus those efforts on something productive, something creative, something useful, something that's going to kind of benefit you going forward. I mean, that makes perfect right. sense why it becomes one of the health's so let's talk about then let's shift over to adventure, yes. right? So why adventure? Because all the other ones kind of connect. So where, where is this adventure thing? Um, adventure has, has a little bit different meaning than most people think. Well, let me rephrase that. It's a multi-layered meaning. And so the way I look at adventure first and foremost is it's a mindset of possibility, of curiosity, of growth. And this is important because if we're not growing, we're actually falling behind. There's no such thing as maintaining. If you're maintaining, you're behind because the, the world is constantly shifting. And if you're not shifting with it, you're falling behind, right? So this idea of curiosity and possibility, adventure needs two main components. Number one is the unknown. Number two is, I've mentioned it before, a little bit of suffering, right? And some people don't like that word. Uh, we've spent or, or um, advertisers spend a lot of money trying to convince us that what we want is comfort. And it is the path of least resistance. Mm-hmm. It is what's comfortable. But nobody ever grows. Nothing great happens when you're comfortable or You don't achieve or create anything great in comfort. 
It is by extending yourself that you grow and create something, something greater, right? And so um, there, there are like the adventures, maybe, you know, I, I, like I mentioned, I like doing ultra marathons. I, I like uh, fast packing. So I'll say, hey, look, it's a uh, hundred miles, this trail. All right, I'm gonna take lightest gear possible and I'll run it in the course of two or three days. Okay, great. Now, am I comfortable? No. Am I going to be putting in work? Yes. This is something that for me, because I'm a very kinesthetic person, plus I love nature, um, really resonates with me. But suffering can be akin to weights. When you lift weights, what's happening? You're putting resistance And when you put resistance, you gain strength. Your body has to adapt to that new resistance, get stronger so that you can continue to progress, right? Because your body likes to be, your body seeks homeostasis. It seeks the path of least resistance. So by you constantly feeding it stress and that resistance, it has to level up. It has to grow. It has to expand to meet this new demand. Mm-hmm. So this whole idea, like there's nothing, like no one is really ever bad at anything. It's just that you're not good at something when you first start doing it. So it's finding that kind of, that draw that's going to put you in a, in a state of discomfort that's going to give you something to push against, effectively going back to what you were saying about like, the weights, being able to kind of create that tension then. Um, so if someone is listening to this and they're they feel satisfied in terms of like their other, their other six healths. Like they feel mentally fulfilled, spiritually fulfilled financially. They're in a good position. Um, and yet they're feeling lacking in this kind of adventure because maybe it's something that they've never done before. Maybe they've never put themselves in this kind of uncomfortable position. If you're working with someone who is in that scenario, in that situation, how would you foster that development of the, the adventure health? A few things. Number one, the one thing I want to make sure that's very clear is that I'm not suggesting that you go run an ultra marathon. That <laughs> that's that's the key to enlightenment. Or that's the key. No, no, that's that's my vessel. That's the one that works for me, because I love running and I love experiencing. Like that's my thing. The physicality of that is something that really, really, really shifts my chemistry. Really makes me think and grow. For other people, it may be learning, let's just say, an instrument. It may be learning a new skill. It may be going down a different path. I used to, t- I used to tell the kids, uh, like I mentioned, I have three kids. Now they're 11, 8, and 5. I used to, when the youngest one was two, so what, maybe three years ago. So that means the, other one, the oldest was, was only eight. There was a grocery store about a mile away. And I would tell kids, hey, who wants to go on an adventure? And they'd be like, oh, yeah, I want to go. I want to go. And we would walk there. I would walk with a two-year-old. What is that? At that point, she's uh, five and an eight-year-old. We'd walk through the sidewalks. And along the way, we'd see all these iguanas down the canal. We'd see all these animals. We'd see motorcycles. We'd see cars. And then we'd go to the grocery store, not to get groceries, we just buy a loaf of bread, mm. turn around, 
walk back and eat the loaf of bread on the way back. That was the adventure. That was it, right? It's what's around the next corner? What's, what's there? Is it more uncomfortable to walk there in the heat? Like I live in Miami, in South Florida, where it's tropical. It's hot and humid pretty much all the time, right? So it's so much easier to hop in a car if I really needed to go to the store that you have AC in the car, you hop into the store, you get AC, you come back, you hop back, you wasted a lot less time, but you didn't create any experiences. It's in some of that slowing down. It's in some of that being a little bit uncomfortable with the situation that there is that growth. By denying yourself some comfort, you actually grow and get better. Nice. So, because you have to, and again, to use these the wonderful cliches that you hear, like nothing ever comfort zone is a wonderful place, but nothing ever grows there, and so on and so forth. But in yeah. in making yourself uncomfortable, you become comfortable with that level of discomfort if you continue to do it. Right. Awesome. Yeah. Which then brings me quite nicely, I think, onto um, ultra marathons. How did you get into running ultra marathons? Uh, one step at a time. <laughs> Literally. Um, I hated running when I was, when I was a kid. My, dad, uh, my dad's been a big influence in my life. Mm-hmm. And he, ever since I was 12 or 13, like I knew that I wanted to be a father. I knew I wanted to get married. I knew I wanted to have kids. And I knew that I wanted to be a dad to my kids like my father was. Yeah. And that represented things like uh, having my own business so that I had more autonomy of my time. Like he had his own business and he was at all our practices, at all our games. He was able to join in in the experiences of us growing up. My mom worked hard, but she worked in a job for someone else and she had her two weeks. And it was awesome because when we would go to vacation, like those were her two weeks. But she, other than that, she didn't really have much, much leeway. Meanwhile, my dad, I'm the oldest of four. So when my, my dad was 22 when they had me, when my parents got married and after they got married, like a year later, I was born and you know, he tells me, he goes, what you don't realize is that I grew up with you. I didn't grow up and then have you. Like, I grew up with you. My dad's like a little kid. And he taught me so much by the way he acted. He would wake up early in the morning and he would train. He would run. He would do Ironmans and stuff like that. So, But he would do it while everyone was sleeping. And then slowly that became, he would knock on my door at like six in the morning. Hey, do you want to go for a run? I was like, no, I want to sleep. That's more comfortable. And then he would do it again. And so he has this, this level of persistence that he never told me I had to run, mm. but sometimes he just wears you down like that drop of water that just, you know, cuts through the rock yep. because he was just so consistent. And I learned that from him. And as I began to really embrace running, what I fell in love with was exactly that is consistency allows the honesty of what of the work that you've put in to bloom and it, it it just felt like it was it was it was like something that was fair 
right? Like if you played basketball, first of all, you're depending on a lot of other people. And you could have a shot, like even if you didn't practice, anyone could make a shot at any given point, right? I mean, the better you are, it increases it, but like you can shoot and it can go in the hoop. If you have not practiced running, you're not going to run that far. You're not going to run that fast. It's just not going to happen, right? So to me, I just really enjoyed the honesty of, of that. And as I grew older, I ended up going to university and I ran track and cross country there. And then afterwards, because I love adventure and the outdoors, I started really exploring, oh, wait, there are these trail races. And wait, I don't have to be done after 26 miles, right? Or 40, 42 kilometers. Mm-hmm. I can keep going. And so I was like, all right, that sounds like a cool idea. And, you know, I went to uh, 50 miles and then, you know, I did my first 100 miler two years ago. And uh, so I'm training actually for my second one right now. So so in terms of um, in terms of managing the training load, um, I've got some friends who've run some ultras and just the sheer number of miles that you're having to put in on a weekly basis. In terms of managing, um, obviously, family life, you've got three kids, a wife, and then you're running a business on the side. Are you adopting the same sort of approach that your dad did in that um, you're getting stuff done before everyone else gets up and then being able to continue yeah. the rest of your day? Yeah, I, I usually get up uh, uh, between 3 and 3.30, get in some runs. I start seeing clients at 5 in the morning, so I'll squeeze in something there. I'll see some clients and then I'll squeeze something else while the kid's in school. And then I'll go and I'll pick up the kids from school, come back, depending on the day. Like usually I, I work, I usually work Mondays and Wednesdays and Fridays and that's it. And so Tuesdays and Thursdays, I'm essentially free from seeing clients in person. And then, you know, I can see, I, I do virtual coaching, uh, you know, people all over. And then, so that gives me a lot more flexibility and I, I can tweak my hours like that. But I try to start my day with some kind of running because it makes me feel good. Mm-hmm. And it also makes me feel accomplished. Like I'm like, oof, I, I, I started the day on my terms. Yeah. Starting the day with that psychological win, doing something that a little bit uncomfortable. And it's like, yep, yeah, you know what? Even if I have an absolutely shit day today i've already got that little run under my belt in the beginning yeah nice are you adopting the same approach with any of your kids yet that your dad was like the little knock on the door at like five o'clock in the morning said you want to go out for a little run yeah actually so my oldest is very process driven yeah and that's one thing that we've really realized and 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 honored is the their kind of personalities like my daughter's night and day difference uh my little one is completely different. They're all three very different, but my oldest is very process driven. He has an attention span that will rival and surpass most adults. His ability to concentrate and focus, mind blowing. So we started having the conversation. I've been doing uh, uh, six, six habits for probably at this point, four and a half, almost five years. Uh, six, you want me to share what they are real quick? Yeah, go for it. Yep. So it's 40 breaths meditation. So it's not a lot. And I'll explain why the logic, the, the, what's the thinking behind this 10 minutes of movement and movement as I define it is moving my 
my joints, muscles, ligaments in such a way that energize, excites, and leaves me feeling better than when I started. Um, I write 50 words every day, minimum. I read at least five pages every day. I connect with three people every day. And um, one, two, three, four, five. I feel like I, I said all six. Maybe I did five. I'm drawing a blank. I want, oh, I make a video every day. Number six. I make a video every day. I set each one of those very specifically to create more consistency in my life. The meditation has allowed me to explore my spirituality and even my religion even that much deeper. My 10 minutes of movement, I did that for two and a half years, just 10 minutes. 10 minutes, occasionally I do something a little bit more. And then to that, I started adding, I said, what would happen if I started running 30 minutes every day? And then after five weeks, I said, well, what if I every five weeks went up to 45 minutes? And then every five weeks, I went up to an hour, like keep adding 15 minutes and see how much I can take that. And I got all the way up to two hours. And then I went back down. But over the course of four years that I started doing that is when I built up to the point where I could do a hundred miler. I didn't wake up and just do that. Nobody, nobody saw that the 10 minutes I had been doing it for two and a half years before I transitioned to the 30 minutes. Right. So my son has seen me do this over the past several years and he's taken note. And so we started talking about what could it look like if he created these minimums on his day. And I said to him, I said, look, imagine if the 10,000 hour rule was true, right? It would take you, if you folded, one of the things that he really likes is origami. And I said, imagine it would take you about 30 years to reach that if you folded it for every day for an hour. I said, that's 40 years old. You'd be 40 years old. I go, I know it sounds like a long time, but if you consider that most people live to 80, that means the second half of your life, you're already a master. Mm -hmm. And all you had to do was fold in an hour every day. And so we didn't start with an hour. I just said, fold origami. Like that. what he decided on was fold origami for a minimum of 10 steps. So some of them are more involved. And so they can take an entire day. And, you know, then you're not setting yourself up for, for success. So we gave him a minimum, 10 steps. Well, he's been doing it for 93 days. Because he told me, he told me yesterday, he hasn't missed a day. Two weeks ago, he started designing his own origami. So in, le in less than 90 days, he went from liking origami and following other people's to now designing more intricate origami pieces. And I said, did you, did you do something wild every single day? He was like, no, some days were really simple. Some days were like the crane that everybody knows, right? Everybody that starts, that's one of the first things that you learn. Okay. I said, what, why do you think you can start designing it now? Because now you start understanding the manipulation. You've been doing it every day, the muscle Mary. You start looking at the way the paper folds. Now you start opening it up and you can, 
oh, just by looking at the folds, you know that, oh, this was a bird at some point. Right? Because you start really understanding that you've immersed yourself in that, right? Mm-hmm. He's also taking on running. So I never push him and I continue to say, hey, if you one day you say, I don't want to run anymore, great. But he started with 10 minutes for five weeks. And then he went up to 15 minutes for the next five weeks. And mm-hmm. now he's at 20 minutes every single day. And he wants to run cross country. He's going to start sixth grade, which is the start of middle school. So now he's already setting the foundation by running every day. Very easy. Sometimes he runs with his five-year-old brother. And the little one is a freaking champ. He's a horse. He wants to run. He's like, oh, I'll run 20 minutes. And he'll go and he'll do it. Right? But he does it very sporadically. So it's not fast, but it's just what's the minimum that I can do to continually create and grow? Mm-hmm. The idea of developing um, really consistent habits such that you may have someone who, um, as you were saying about your little one, like can more than more than comfortably do like a 20 minute or a 40 minute or whatever it is. But because it's sporadic, you don't end up getting the same amount of timing. Is my understanding of that correct? Correct. Correct. There's there's consistency. Consistency creates not only momentum. Yeah. But it create it's it builds on itself. You don't realize it, and that's why, like, I always share with people when they're trying to create transformational habits. Most people plan for the best case scenario. In other words, they're excited, and I'll give you an example because it's one that most people can relate with. Think about New Year's resolutions. Oh, I'm going to go to the gym an hour or two hours every day. Okay, wait. Let's take a step back. Really? That's what you're going to do every day. What happens when you're sick? What happens when your kid is sick? What happens when somebody at work is sick and now you have to cover for them? Are you going to do an hour or two hours on that day? No, you're probably not. So you've already lost because you know for a fact that what you just said is not going to work. Now, if I said, hey, can you move at least 10 minutes, whether it's stretching, whether it's yoga, whether it's calisthenics, whether it's going to the gym, but a minimum of five minutes. Oh yeah, I can do that. Super easy. Great. Start there, create momentum. And on those crazy days, you know that, look, even on your worst day, the day you have the flu, I can still move for five minutes if I have the flu. Right. But you've created, you've created an opportunity for yourself to win consistently and it builds from there. Nice. So circling back to um, your experience with ultramarathons, could you tell us a bit about the experience of running the first one? So when you're when you're stood on the start line there, what's mm. going through your head? Like you've been, you've built up from 10 minutes a day of movement and then all of a sudden you find yourself staring down the barrel of 50 miles or whatever it is. Um, I'd like to share the, the story of the first 100 miler because the 50 miler... I had been saying that I wanted to do an ultra marathon for a long time and I wouldn't do the, I I didn't have the consistency in there. So I literally signed up for it with running maybe two or three times a week, 30 minutes. That's it. So I was in pain. I went out too fast. I did all the things you weren't supposed to do, but there was nothing, there was nothing you could really learn other than, yeah, you didn't do it quite smart. Right. But the hundred miler, like I said, there was like a four-year journey building up to that that actually built up to it. And 
I purposely moved to the back and slowed down. The problem was that by the time I got to 28 miles out of the 100 miles, this was in the mountains. A single track trail from one city to the other one. It was beautiful. But I don't know if you know topography of Miami, flat, sea level, below sea level, right? Um, not, not in mountains. So I ran up a, a lot of bridges, but it's not the same thing. And so by the time I got to mile 28, my quadriceps felt like people were stabbing me every time I took a step. And so now I'm faced with 72 miles of stabbing. <laughs> nice. Right? So now you say, okay, but like, that doesn't make, like, logically, that doesn't make any sense. How could you survive 72 miles? Well, I wasn't surviving 72. Because in my mind, it was, it was, okay, let me get to that rock. Let me get to that next tree. Let me get to where those people are. Let me get to the next aid station. And once I'm there, you know, get some food, get some water, keep doing it like that. One step at a time. I went through the entire race. I remember two very distinct moments. And it was the first, it was, it started in the morning as the sun came up. We ran the entire day, went through the night, went up the next morning and I finished 1 p.m. the next day. I remember um, when the sun came up, I had towards the later half of the race, they allow you to have what they call a pacer. So you can have somebody just run next to you, like one of your friends. They can't carry stuff for you, but kind of like moral support, they run with you. And so it was like it had been a dark or like a rough night, you know. And I remember the sun coming up and it just opened up possibility. And I remember to me, that's one of my favorite times of the day. Like I'm a sunrise person. I love sunsets, but not like I I love sunrises. That's if I had to choose, I take sunrises any day of the week. Yep. When the day is starting, I tell him, I said, we started running when the sun came up. We outran the sun. We ran through the night, outran the moon. And now I tell him, I go, and now the sun's back for more and I'm ready for him. Is what I told him. <laughs> I mean, I was probably delirious at that point, but that, that was what was going on in my mind. Right. Like that's what was going on in my mind. I was like, no. Like, I've made it this far. I'm going to attack this, right? I crossed the finish line at 1 p.m., 28 hours and 58 minutes. That's how grueling it was because I was moving so slow at that point. And when I crossed the finish line, I was flooded with emotions. Like, just like an, an adrenal dump was just like, oh, my whole body could let go. And after I regrouped myself, I had two thoughts. Number one, I can do this faster. Number two, I can do 200 and 300 miles. Those were my two next thoughts while I'm still in pain. And the reason that I said that was number one, I knew I could do it faster because if if my training was better suited for this, I I wouldn't have, have had this issue. I would have still suffered. I mean, you're still running hundred miles. There's a lot that can go wrong. Right. But I could have definitely run faster. But what I realized there 
is that we're capable of so much more. We can endure so much adversity, pain, struggle, that we only skim the surface. And I realized right then that if I ran 200 miles, it, there's not like a training that you would be able to do. There's, there, there's only a finite physical amount of training time that you can do without completely destroying your body. So I, there's, a, there's a point where you have to depend on the mental resilience. And I realized at that moment that I had it, that I had been building it for years, mm-hmm. but it was never tested to the way it was. And this was like, oh, no, you got it. You can do this. And that was so freeing. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that you've been you've been building this resilience for years. Is this um, kind of harking back to the way that your the way that your son is, for example, in terms of the consistency with his origami, and then how you were saying on the trail, how you're breaking down? It's like, okay, can I make it to that rock? Can I make it to that tree? Can I make it around this corner? Is the resilience is that level of resilience something that is built through the consistency? Then, in your opinion, a hundred percent. Resilience is built through consistency of, of stress, of stress, not of comfort, mm-hmm. right? We, we, we all experience the consistency of comfort, but it's, yeah. it's, it's pushing past that. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So I think uh, on the subject of stress, um, before, the, before we started recording, um, you mentioned now that you're you're working three days a week, you're able to spend quite a large amount of time with your family as a result of this. But before we started recording, we touched briefly on a near bankruptcy experience whereby the business was in a very different state. Could you tell us a little bit like that about that? Yeah. So the business was actually fine. Um, but it had to do with who the person I was becoming. It had to do with the person I was becoming because, and this is a conversation, and maybe if you're listening to this, you can relate to this. Have you ever gotten to the point where you've worked so hard for something and then you get to a point where you feel like, oh, is that all there is? I thought there would feel more. I thought there would be more. And that's where I got to. I thought, I had built up this business and I wanted to feel a certain way and I felt like there was something missing, but I didn't know what it was. And then that thought of not knowing, that feeling of, is that all there is? And then combine that with, who can I even share this with? Because most people would be extremely happy with my life. And it wasn't that I wasn't grateful for it but there was something missing that I couldn't put my finger on it. And it wasn't a bigger house. It wasn't more cars. It wasn't any of that because we don't have anything fancy. That's not, that's not who we are. That's not like, that's not where we focus our, our attention. I rather have experiences than, than buy the latest car or the bigger, bigger house. That's not what this is about. This was more of, I feel like there's something more that I was meant for and I don't know what it is. And I felt trapped to the point that it took me down a dark road, down depression to the point where I almost bankrupted the business. And my wife was pregnant with our third child. And I 
was turning business and clients away. I was sleeping six hours in the middle of the day and I just had no desire. I, I just wanted to flee. I just wanted to run away and hide because I didn't know what to do. And around that time, I had a, a coach of mine reach out and invite me to a retreat in Thailand. And there were two problems with that. Problem number one, like I mentioned, I had pretty much uh, taken the business close to bankruptcy. So I didn't have the money for it. And number two, the retreat finished a week before my my wife's uh, due date, mm-hmm. which again, this is the third child. So the likelihood of the child being born early was very high. But I remember approaching my wife about it and she asked me, do I think this can help? And this is what I share with people that it was probably one of the greatest acts of courage and of love that I've experienced because she's pregnant with my third child, with our third child. And she says to me, you know, do you think this can help? I say, yes. And she responds with, then you need to do it. Not for you, but for each of us, because I would rather you miss the day that, that, our, that our child is born than you miss the rest of our life because you're not the man, the husband, or the father I know you to be. Yeah, well, that, that idea of being given permission to to take that step for yourself i can i can only imagine that must have been monumental but it's also a massive vote of faith in your ability as well in your ability to kind of come through come through this situation for the betterment of everyone on the other side as well right right look and i didn't do it on my own right so yes part of this was i was willing to go do the work but I didn't do it on my own. Notice that I said a coach reached out to me, a, a coach that I had worked with. And so sometimes when we're in the depths, in our darkness, we need someone else's light to light the way for a bit. Mm. And, you know, one of the things I share with, with my client, which is one of the things that my coach shared with me is, I am your guru. And, you know, there's the famous Tony Robbins, I'm not your guru movie. Yeah. But the way he put it is that guru comes from the two Sanskrit words, gu, meaning darkness, and ru, light. Mm -hmm. So guru is someone who takes you from the darkness into the light. And my role as a coach is to do that, meet you in your darkness and shine a light in that direction where you want to go, right? Help you see your light, help you uncover it. Imagine if it's hidden under, under your clothes and you're just removing the layers to reveal that light, right? That's what it is. And, you know, another analogy I like to use is that sometimes we're the sun, sometimes we're the moon, right? The moon doesn't have light. The moon reflects the light. It gives light to us here, but it doesn't have its own. And so sometimes we're in a state where we need somebody to reflect the light on us in order to light the way. Other times we get to be that for others. And when you're showing up as that best version of yourself, when you're showing up where you can start optimizing your health, the seven health, you start becoming and sharing more of that light. And so now that light starts reflecting off the people who are in their moon state, if you want to call that. Mm -hmm. 
So was there any particular catalyst for the, the beginning of this experience? Um, was there like a moment, was there a milestone that you'd set yourself that you thought, okay, once I achieve this, I'm going to have arrived, I'm going to be happy and fulfilled. Was there a like a specific moment whereby you got to it and then you went through what you experienced in there? Oh, like, is this all there is? Is there more? Um, I don't know if it was explicit, but I, I felt like I wanted more. I wanted the ability to impact deeper. And I felt that the constraints of the way the business was set up and the way the program was designed didn't allow me to explore the seven healths because at the time it was very physically focused and I knew that there was more and I felt the constraints of that. I just didn't know how to think about it yet. So that once I got over there, I started peeling back the layers as to, wait, wait, why is this like this? I started peeling back and saying, okay, wait, there is more than the physical. There's the mental, there's the spiritual, there's the emotional, there's the environmental, there's the relational, right? Because how stressful are relationships? They can be extremely stressful if you don't nurture healthy, abundant, vibrant relation, uh, relationships. If you consistently nurture toxic relationships, you're going to keep doing the same thing over and over again. And the rest of you is going to kind of go down from there. So would you say that you were doing that when you started to, to fall down this rabbit hole? For sure. I was definitely in a deficit. Right. Like one of the way one of the analogies I like to, to, to give is how can you make daily deposits, if not daily, weekly or monthly deposits on each of the seven healths? Right. Because not every day you're going to be able to go on an adventure. Not every day you're going to be able to contribute financially in one. Not every day you're going to be able to reorganize your environment. Sometimes you kind of have to you know, stick it through because you don't even know, like sometimes you have to embrace the, the suck of, of something so you understand what you don't want so you gain more clarity as to what you do want. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they embrace the suck. I mean, it's a, it's a maxim you see quite a lot. But as you said, like talking about this idea of voluntary suffering that we touched upon earlier, I mean... yeah suffering really comes from wanting your circumstances to be different than they are that desire to be in a different set of circumstances to be in a different scenario and if you're able to embrace the suck that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be any less difficult or any less challenging but you'll be present in it and you won't be wanting for something else because you're just like you know this is how it is at the moment this is what i'm going through this isn't great but it'll pass Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So you mentioned that you work with um, a lot of married men. Um, this idea of being needing someone to kind of shine a light as as a man, is this something that you find people sometimes, some of your clients sometimes struggle with in terms of that, that idea of asking for help, that idea of opening up and saying, look, I can't do this on my own. 
and it might be the first time that this individual has experienced that. Is that something that comes up quite often? Yes, um, but there's there's something that is stronger than ego, and that's pain. And that's usually when people – that's usually the entryway. I'm experiencing physical pain that is not allowing me to enjoy my life. I'm experiencing physical pain that's not allowing me to do what I need to do, what I want to do. And so they come to me with this, and then very often the thing is not the thing. The pain is not coming from a physical thing. Very often is what is the emotional baggage that you came? One of, one of, the, uh, one of, one of the ideas that I have, and I haven't solidified it, but I want to share it with you regardless, is if I was carrying a tree, and I say to you, man, I'm tired. <laughs> what, would your, what would your response be? Put the tree down. Yeah, take a break. Right? Yeah, take a break. Put the tree down. Why are you holding this tree? And so my idea is, what if I walked or ran a marathon with like a tree-like thing that seems awkward and seems like, why would somebody be carrying this? And on that, have it written, you can't always see the burdens people are carrying, right? The physical stuff is often so much easier and we have a process for putting it down. Like literally just put the tree down. Okay, I got it. It's hurting my shoulders, my back. I'm tired. I'm sore. Okay, great. Put it down. It's a tree. It's weighing you down. The problem is when we're talking about the emotional stuff, the psychological stuff that you've been carrying on for years, first of all, for a lot of people, they've suppressed it and they've hit it. So you got to go looking for it. And oftentimes you're not ready to go looking for it mm -hmm. because with that, there's other issues going that are going to come up before it's going to get worse before it gets better. And so the whole point is that, when we are not clear on exactly what it is that we're looking for, and then what's the process for taking it down? Because we don't even know what it is that we're looking for. So when somebody says, deal with it, yeah, I'm trying to, but I don't even know what I'm trying to deal with, right? So can you see how, how, how that pain yeah. is, is a great equalizer to ego? Because all of a sudden you're like, okay, yes, take my pain away. Yeah. What do I need to do? Okay, great. Let's peel back these things. Let's address this and go from there. And the beauty of this is that a lot of this work, and it's not just mental stuff. There's physical stuff that we will do virtually and physically. Because I work with guys and, well, men and women, not just men with pain, but like men and women, if you're in pain right now, my wife and I have been able to create this system to support and eliminate that pain to help you understand, educate, and then move forward without pain. Fantastic. So we're bumping up against the, the hour mark there. Um, one, one parting question that I like to, to ask um, all of my guests is, obviously one of the focuses of this podcast is exploring mental health. So if there is someone who is listening to this podcast right now and they're maybe struggling with some depression or some anxiety, 
what would be the one thing that you recommend that they do right this second that would help them move through that experience? I don't pretend to understand your situation right now. Whatever it is, I, I'd, I'd be foolish to say, oh, if you did this, this would help you. Every person's different. Your burden, I'm not familiar with it. You may not even know what it is at this moment. But if you're struggling with something, if you're, let's say it's depression, right? Depression very often lives in the past. So the burden is very much tied to what's happened. Anxiety very much lives in the future. It's what you're creating that could happen that starts weighing you down, right? And so now your body is still going under stress. It goes, it goes inward to these animal brains, right? So what needs to happen? We need to feed, get a little bit more clarity, if you walked into a dark room, you're not going to confidently stroll across the entire room because you can't see. You're going to hit a wall, trip over furniture. Not, not good. If you turn on the lights, you now have more clarity. Now you can walk forward. So see clarity. How can you see clarity? One of the things that you can do by yourself is change your state. First and foremost, to see clarity you can't be the person that you are in a depressed state to see clarity. So move. Number one, I mean, there's countless of studies that show the impacts of exercise and movement has chemically to alter your state, even if it's just for a moment. But what you need is a moment to then see a little bit further to then take the next step. So first and foremost, move. Second, Lay it out. Try to bring what's inside out. Journaling is a great way to bring it out. Whatever it is you're feeling, don't judge it. Bring it out. The second that it's out, you now have new perspective. Because now instead of looking inward, you're looking out. And all of a sudden, it changes everything. Because if I looked at a cylinder from the side, it looks like a rectangle. If I look at it from the top, it looks like a circle. If I look at it from different angles... Now I can see it's a combination, right? That's what you need to do. Or let me rephrase that. That's something that could be helpful for you to do. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing within that context is get help, get support. That may mean you have to get some kind of help medically. That may mean hiring a therapist or a coach. But whatever it is, knowing that you're not alone in this is going to be massively helpful and again just do it is not a skillful approach that's why it's better to break it down and say try this and use the data from it not the drama the data did this help move me a little bit forward did this shift anything yes great let me explore it more no is there anything that i can do that can tweak it maybe walking doesn't do it for you Maybe you need to jump in cold water. Maybe you need to swim. Maybe you need to lift some weights. Maybe you need to get in a sauna. All of those will change your physical state in an instant. Try that first, then bring it out and make sure you can get some support. Hopefully that's helpful as a starting point to take, just like in my ultra marathons, 
take one more step. Not 100 miles, take one more step. That's all you're looking for is the next step. Awesome. Perfect. Change your site, change your perspective, and then get some help when you do it. Fantastic. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you very much, Amanda. This has been a super insightful chat. I'm sure I'm sure my listeners will take some substantial value from it. Um, thank you very much for doing it. My pleasure. Hopefully I wasn't too intense. I get passionate about these things. No, not at all. Intensity <laughs> is always a good thing. <laughs> cool, man. Thank you so much. Uh, let me know how I can support you when this comes out. Definitely let me know and I, I'll be happy to share it with my, with my network. Fantastic. I will do just that. Thank you. That was Rolling Forward. I hope you enjoyed listening to this as much as I enjoyed recording it. If you enjoyed this episode or you feel that there is something that I should be talking about or someone that I should be talking to, please don't hesitate to get in touch. The most effective way to do that is to leave a review on iTunes or whatever podcasting app you are listening on. I will read any and all reviews, so please leave me your comments so I can provide you with even more value. Again, I hope you enjoyed this episode and I will see you next time.